That moment when you're sitting at church waiting for someone to come up and read and then you realize, it's me, I'm supposed to read. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I got a lot of irons in the fire today, guys. Um, the scripture today is from Malachi, um, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his, his heritage to the jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It is nice to see you on this Lord's Day. Uh, I'm delighted to be here with my wife, Sherry. This is, uh, we try to get down at least once a year, and I realize I've got four international trips this year, so this was the time that worked well. And the reason why I know the pulpit was vacant is because I asked Lee to speak at Free, uh, Subi Church. I figured, oh, the pulpit's vacant, so I want to preach, and it's a privilege to be with you. So I'm Ben Johnston. I pastor at uh, Subi Echo Church, and we've been there now. In, we're into our seventh year there. We moved in uh, November 2012. God's call and believing that he wanted us to be there. And one of the uh, really interesting things was about a year after we were at Subi Church, people came and said, would you be interested in, in working with Frio Church? And uh, we were very interested, even though we were going to begin on a building campaign, we were very interested and believed that God was going to work in this location with the people that were here and grow this church for the kingdom of God. And, and one of the things I want to say is it's great to see you this morning because this is a lot different than when we started five years ago at Frio Church. And it is great to see even the Frio kids. And uh, it's a blessing. And so it's my joy to be with you this morning. We've got a great passage of scripture. I don't know how much time you spend in Malachi, but we're going to be in Malachi today. And, and I think by God's grace, you're going to really enjoy it because it's his word to his people, and it's a word of love and grace. And it's hard to understand, so we're going to have to work at it. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and just ask that uh, he would use this passage to speak to you, to your heart, where you are right now. Father, we delight to hear your word. And it is in great humility that we approach your sacred word your revelation, and you speak, and you speak to us today, and the Spirit of God guides and directs us. And I do pray that even as we look at this passage of Scripture, we would have a greater love and appreciation for you, but also understand your divine love better. For your glory, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, does God really love us? 
Now, if you ever ask that question, one of the things you're doing is you're asking the same question that people in Malachi's day were asking. Does God really love us? So I'm going to give you a brief thought on Malachi. So last book in the Old Testament, written somewhere around 440 to 420 B.C., likely. The only thing that we really know about the man Malachi is obviously what he's written, but his name. So if you know his name, then you realize, I know about Malachi. That's all we know. It's his name and then what he has written here. So here's what was going on in Malachi's day. The people of God, Israel, were disconnecting with God. They were not connecting with the living God. And so what Malachi does is he writes his final word of God until Messiah comes. He's basically saying you need to keep reconnecting with God. Just keep reconnecting with God. And throughout the book of Malachi, he's going to say, you've got to keep reconnecting with God in worship and in the word. And in here, reconnecting with the love of God. Well, let me talk about the love of God and begin with uh, this story. Ernest Shackleton, the great Arctic explorer. If you don't know the story of Shackleton, it's amazing. But right around the time of World War I, he goes down to, um, to the South Pole. He's going down to Antarctica, and he wants to, to cross it. It gets to be winter time, and the ship is now surrounded by ice, the Endeavor, and ultimately it's crushed. And he is stranded there with his men. Now, this is the ultimate survival story. And, and the bottom line is he survives, and all of his men survive. But the ship is crushed. They're there on the ice. Eventually, the ice is going to break up. They need to get into their smaller boats, and they do get into the smaller boats, go through the open ocean to Elephant Island, and there they have to uh, hang out until they can go and seek rescuers. Having said that, he goes back to England, and he makes the uh, lecture circuit. And people say at one point, what was the most dramatic, most memorable moment you had in your whole adventure? And he tells this story. He says, there on Elephant Island, we were all down to one biscuit. Each man had one biscuit. He said it was nighttime, and uh, everyone presumed to be asleep, but he said, I was still awake. And I saw a man get up from his bunk, and he reaches over to his mate's biscuit bag, and he reaches into that bag, and he takes out the one biscuit that's left in his mate's biscuit bag. And Shackleton is thinking in his own mind, you know, I, I used to trust this man. I used to think this guy had integrity. But here he is stealing the last biscuit of a friend. But then he keeps watching, doesn't say anything. And this guy takes his own biscuit bag and he reaches in there and he takes his single biscuit out. And then he puts both of those biscuits into his mate's biscuit bag, puts it back in place and lays down in his bunk. Shackleton tells that story, and then he says this, quote, I dare not tell you that man's name. I felt that act was a secret between himself and God. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand about love. You don't get it. You cannot fully comprehend human love, because Shackleton looked at that event. He said, oh, there's an act of hatred, of envy, of greed, and then he realized this was a supreme act of love, and it was just amazing to him on this whole adventure. Here's a guy 
who wants to show love to his mate and he doesn't want any credit for it. He doesn't want to do it during the day. He doesn't want to even be known. He just wants to express this secret love and Shackleton is blown away by it. Now here's the thing. This is not love between a husband and his wife. This is not love between a mother and their child. This is mateship love and he didn't get it at first. Now, if it's hard for us to understand human love between human beings, how much more is it harder to understand divine love? Please don't tell me you got it all figured out. Please don't tell me that. Otherwise, we can all go. But they didn't have it figured out in Malachi's day, and I don't think we have it figured out today. One of the great scholars in our day is uh, Don Carson, D.A. Carson. We were privileged to have him at Subi Church a couple of years ago. But he, he was doing a lecture series, one I've sat through many times when I was in seminary, called the W.H. Griffith Thomas Lecture. So this man never got to the, the seminary, but he died before he get, got there. But they named the lecture series after him. And these scholars would come and they would read their lecture. Uh, and I still remember F.F. F. Bruce coming one series, and I didn't understand a word he said, but he was speaking in English. But here's uh, how uh, Don Carson begins. And his series is called The Difficult Love of God, The Doctrine of the Difficult Love of God. And his first chapter is on distorting the love of God. So it's been transcribed. He writes this. On learning the title of this series, writing, speaking to a number of seminary students, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God, you might well be forgiven for thinking that the 1998 W.H. Griffith Thomas Lecture has taken leave of his senses. If he had chosen to speak on the difficult doctrine of the Trinity, or the difficult doctrine of predestination, or at least his title might have been coherent. But isn't the doctrine of the love of God, well, easy compared to such high-flown and mysterious teachings? And I think he's right. He's basically going to say, as a theologian, you want to talk about love of God, it is very difficult. And Malachi is going to help us out. He is going to speak into your life today and help you to understand the doctrine of God's love. Isn't that great? Because they were struggling with it. They would say, well, how do we struggle with it? Most of us, most of us have, or we know someone who has gone through a difficult circumstances, and you say something like this, where is God's love in this? I mean, I'm just not seeing the love of God right now. We go through difficult times financially, there's a health issue, there's emotional things. There's things with relationships. Where's God's love in this? That's where we enter in. And what we need to do is see how God responds. How does God respond when God's people say, where's God's love in this? I'm just not sensing it. I'm not feeling the love right now. And so we've read from Malachi 1, 1 through 5, and he answers. Now Malachi is going to begin with an oracle, or better translated perhaps, a burden, the word of the Lord through Malachi. And the first thing Malachi is going to do is he's going to speak very tenderly, God's going to speak very tenderly to his people even though he's got a burden that he's got to say, you need to reconnect with me, God's saying, 
But here's how he speaks tenderly. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Connecting with God begins by accepting his love for us. And here's how God responds. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob. But Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Now here's what I want you to think. Often when we think about love, we think about these romantic pictures, you know, let me count the ways I have loved you. How many times do you say something like this? Let's go back to Jacob. And, and by the way, I, I've hated Esau. Here's my love for you. Take it. It doesn't sound very glamorous, romantic, but that's what God says. So what we need to do is try to deal with the difficult doctrine, the difficult doctrine of God's love. But it starts by accepting his love for us. The starting place is God says, I have loved you. Hear those words. I have loved you, says the Lord. Now, how do the people of God respond? They respond like this. How have you loved us? You get it? There's a lot of sarcasm there. There's a lot of questioning, doubting God's love. We're not feeling it, God. Now, as I said, I've brought my, my wife Sherry with me. We've been married now over 35 years, and, and, and I still need to say to my wife, Sherry, I love you. And here's what I expect her to say back to me. This is my expectation. I love you too, sweetie. You're absolutely amazing. Well, she never says that last bit, but, but at least I want her to say, I love you too. You know what? When I say I love you, I'm, I'm hoping for her to say, yeah, I love you too. But if she says to me, how have you loved me? I know right there, right there, I'm in deep doo-doo right there when she says those words. So here's what we need to think about. God says to his people, I have loved you. And they come back and they say, how have you loved us? We're not sensing it. We're not getting it. Our problem is we don't always feel it. Well, we have the privilege of listening in now to God's answer to his people Israel. You and I, right now, we get to listen in and see how God responds to that. Because sometimes we've been like those people, the ancient Israelites, and we say, well, I'm not sensing your love right now, God. Yeah, you say you love me, but I just don't feel it right now. Now, sometimes we're thinking, well, God should say something like this. Well, remember, I gave you that great parking spot a few weeks ago. And, and you remember you got that bonus last year, that money. That's not how he responds. We may think, oh, how should God respond? Well, remember those roses I gave you or those chocolates I gave you? No, that's not how God responds. And so it's very important for us to hear how he responds to that question. Here's what he says. I want you to go back in time. I want you to go back to the patriarchs. So let's go through the, the history of Israel. We're going to start with Abraham. We understand creation took place, but with Abraham. Abraham's married to Sarah. Sarah's son is who? What's his name? Stay with me on this. What's the name of Abraham and Sarah's son? The key one, the promised son. What's his name? 
Isaac, yeah, Isaac. So Isaac is, is married to Rebecca. They have twin children. What are their names? Esau and Jacob. So these are twins. So now we're dealing with Abraham's grandchildren, okay? So here's how God answers the people of Israel when they say, how have you loved us? He's going to go back to uh, Jacob's uh, and Esau. And he says this, I have loved you in this way. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And so here's what we recognize. That there are two children, twins, both grandsons of Abraham. One has the birthright, one should receive the blessing, and his name is Esau. The other one's name is Jacob. He comes in second place. I mean, they're twins, but he's born second. And so he comes in second place. But here's what God says is, you, you Israelites, you are children of Jacob, and Jacob have I loved. Again, sometimes we're expecting God to say, well, what have you done for me lately? Or we want to say that to God. And God says, here's how I've loved you. I loved you and Jacob. I chose Jacob over Esau. And you're children of Jacob. You're not children of Esau. The children of Esau are the Edomites, and we'll get to them in a minute. Look over at Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. Or listen as I read. The Apostle Paul says this, Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Okay, well we get it. Conception was the same time. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now we're going to come back to that word hated, but the point is, Paul is going to quote from Malachi to make a point to the Roman church. That God loved Jacob before he'd done anything good or bad. That's the point. God loved that people before anything had occurred that it would merit anything good or bad. Now let's go to the language of uh, love and hatred. Just so you don't uh, get mixed up with this. Um, I'm going to use uh, Jesus' words because it's used in the New Testament as well. Here's how Jesus says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate Father and mother, notice the word there, hate. It's not going to be used like you and I normally use the word. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, and notice the next phrase, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And so that's from Luke 14. What he's basically saying is this. When I'm using the word hate, it's not that I hate your guts type language. It's this idea. Jesus said at other places, you cannot serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other. In other words, you will love, you'll be passionate, there'll be a priority, and then the other will not be a priority. So Jesus is saying, I'm always the priority because Jesus is Lord. Even if I say I love my mother and father more than I love the Lord, Jesus said, no, you can't be my disciple. If you say you love your wife and children more than you love the Lord, you're not my disciple. You've got to follow me and recognize that I am Lord. Jesus demands first place, and it's right that he demands first place. 
What we're saying here is this. God's covenantal love, his commitment, his devoted commitment, is given to Jacob. That's what he's saying. And he's withholding that covenantal love from Esau. And what does Esau get? Well, we're going to find out Esau gets what's fair. Esau gets what's coming to him. Esau gets what's right. But Jacob gets love, grace, mercy. Now, how do we fit in on this? Our passage, our scripture reading that was read earlier was from Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to highlight a couple verses again because you need to see these because it comes to us. Ephesians 1.3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Here's the phrase, In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in order that with his, in, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In love he predestined us. One of the things that as the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, primarily Gentiles, modern day Turkey, primarily Gentiles, he's saying you realize before the creation of the world, not even going back to Abraham, before the creation of the world God had already chosen you. He'd already demonstrated his love. In love, he predestined you before you did anything good or bad. He just chose you, and that's called grace. Because if it's based upon what you've done, that's merit. But it's based upon his sovereign choice. It's called grace. And in grace, he chose you. And here's what he says to his people Israel. You're doubting my love? I chose you in Jacob. To anyone here who says, I'm going to doubt God's love because I haven't felt it lately... God says, if you're in Christ Jesus, I chose you even before the foundation of the world. In love, I adopted you as my child. That's divine love, but it's difficult and it's challenging. What I need to do is right now accept that if I'm in Christ Jesus, if I'm in Christ Jesus right now, I was loved in eternity past. I don't get it. But I was. That's God's great love. It's his unique love for us. We are God's people. Here's the second idea I want to bring out. God's love is active and purposeful. So notice the contrast. He loves Jacob. He hates Esau. He's going to bless Jacob. He's going to oppose Esau. Esau's people are going to become the Edomites. Edom is basically not heard from after 312 B.C. Just don't hear about Edomites anymore. Nobody here knows an Edomite. You may know Jews, but you don't know an Edomite because they don't exist anymore. They've been assimilated. They are not existent. But the Jews are there. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. Now here's the question we all ask. Is that really fair, God? I mean, is that really fair for you to do something like that, to, to choose Jacob over Esau and say, Jacob, I've loved, Esau, I've hated? 
So the Apostle Paul, I read from Romans 9, he continues on, but he's anticipating your question. He says this in Romans 9, 14. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Is God being unfair? He's already said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Is God being unfair? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. In love, he predestined us. Shouldn't God treat everybody equally? Let me get you to think about that for just a moment when it comes to love. So I've been in ministry now over 30 years. I don't know how many weddings I've officiated. It's well over 100. Journey, it averages well over uh, four a year. So well over 100, somewhere between 100 and 200. I've never been at a wedding ceremony that I've officiated or witnessed where the groom stands before his bride and he says, I love you, but I'm going to love all the women of the world the same as I love you. And we say, isn't that sweet? That's ridiculous. That's absurd. We don't cherish. That's not devoted love. What we value, what we truly value, is that devoted, committed, covenantal love when we see it evidenced in a, mar in a marriage service, right? That's what we want to hear. We want to hear the guy say, I'm devoted to you in love, and I'll leave everybody else behind. I will be solely devoted to you in unique covenantal love. And the woman says the same thing. She doesn't say, I'm going to love you, but I'm also going to try to love all the other men in the world, same as I love you. That is not a good wedding. That's a terrible wedding. Uh, and we wouldn't celebrate that either. What does God do? He says, I have loved you. Unique, special, different. And again, it's difficult. Because we all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And I think there is a sense where his love is given to everyone. And yet there is this special love that God gives and in love, he predestines us, and we receive that love, and it's great. Two ways God shows his unique love for his people. In eternity past, it's that electing love. At the cross, it's sacrificial love. So let's go to the, the gospel in the New Testament where we see God's atoning love through Christ Jesus our Lord. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners not meriting anything from God. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God demonstrates his love in predestination, in election, and also at the cross. And that's God's love for you today. Now, some of you are going to say, well, what if I don't get a great parking spot this week? Or what if I don't get a bonus? Or what if my relationships aren't working out? Or what if my health is not what I want it to be? Please don't doubt the love of God. It's revealed, this difficult doctrine is revealed in Scripture. What does God give everybody? Well, we either have grace or we get what's fair. God never acts in an unfair manner. But here's what I would say to you. If someone ever gives you opportunity to grasp a hold of grace, to receive grace, don't say, I'll take justice instead. Take the grace. The greatness of God's love is not limited 
and I, I want you to notice in verse 5. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. Great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. I take it that his greatness of his name, but also the greatness of his love, goes even beyond the borders of Israel. So even though we've seen this phrase in Malachi, Jacob have I loved, what about the rest of us? Most of us here are not uh, children biologically of Abraham. What about the rest of us? What I think you see is that the love of God extends beyond the borders of Israel, even going back in the Old Testament. I'm going to read from Jonah. So Malachi is a little bit more obscure, but Jonah, we know, we know the story of Jonah, right? The big fish and so forth. Jonah, the prophet, the reluctant prophet. Jonah 3.10, when God saw what they did. So Jonah has fled on the ship to Tarshish and... Um, the storm comes, he's thrown into the water, the big fish swallows him, spits him out, and now he's going to go to Nineveh because that's where he's supposed to go anyway to preach repentance. And he preaches it and the people respond in Nineveh. When God saw what they, the people of Nineveh, did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But, Jonah, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong. And he was very angry. Why? Because Ninevites are our hated enemy. We don't like them. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord in chapter 4. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. I know about you. You're a loving, gracious God. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. In other words, I hate it that you are so loving to these Ninevites. How come you just don't shower all your love on the Israelites, but God's love goes beyond the borders of Israel? And God's love extends into the world. And this is what Jonah realizes. He's a God who's compassionate and gracious, not just with the people of Israel, but throughout the world, his love is offered and demonstrated. Jonah's theology is spot on. His application is bad. Let me point out to you this, and I'm going to end with this passage from Romans 10. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. Verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, he says, you will be saved. Not might, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The scripture says anyone, notice the word anyone, who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Get it. God's love extends beyond the borders of Israel, beyond the Jews. It extends to people like us. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all, everyone who calls on him. And here's his quote, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's an amazing thought. 
I, I can't fully explain it, but in love he predestined us. At Calvary, at the cross, God demonstrates his love for us. That's what we hang on, those two thoughts. But here's the thing to the world around us as we reach out with the message of God's love. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I can look anyone in the eye in Fremantle and say, regardless of what their background, regardless of what their ethnic heritage is, or even who they are, what they've done, you call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved because God's love extends beyond the borders of Israel and extends even to here. And it's an amazing gospel. So there's two things I want to say in application. First, if you're in Christ Jesus and you question God's love at times, and sometimes many Christians do, either you have or a Christian you know has said, I just don't see God's love in this situation. Here's a small remnant of Israel surrounded by bigger powers. And they're saying, God, we're just not getting your love right now. And God simply says this, just remember I chose you in Jacob. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, we can say this, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you ever question God's love, you go back to these two thoughts. If you're here and you do not know that you are in a right relationship with God, God's love is offered in the gospel right now. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Pray with me. Father, your love is difficult for us to comprehend and we struggle with it and we struggle in our own human circumstances because we we go through trials and tribulations sometimes even persecuted for the cause of Christ father I pray that your love would be upon this church and these people for any who are here who do not know the love of God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. That they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and indeed be saved. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand with us and sing.